Be Effective podcast is brought to you by Effective Fitness Training. EFT is a performance-driven fitness program designed to improve individual performance. Created by our team of physical therapists, strength conditioning coaches, nutrition specialists, and a team of active and former law enforcement with over 100 years combined experience. EFT is developed for those who want the most comprehensive fitness plan available. Use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 10% off the life of your membership. Welcome to the Be Effective Podcast, episode 62, Mr. Aaron Gennetti. Mr. Gennetti is a husband, father, teacher, business owner, and lifelong student. Aaron is the co-founder of Endeavor Defense and Fitness and the creator of the Active Shooter Response and Knife Control Concepts programs. He's been training and teaching various forms of martial arts and self-defense for 14 years. He has ranked and trained in Krav Maga, Jiu-Jitsu, wrestling, boxing, kickboxing, firearms, and more. Over his career, Aaron has had the pleasure of teaching in more than 30 states and three countries. To this day, he continues to train and evolve to be a better leader, teacher, and practitioner. Throughout this episode, him and I discuss how he got to where he is today and the importance of training knife defense and the importance of fitness, business, and how to be prepared for you and your family. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Without further ado, episode 62, Mr. Aaron Gennetti. Enjoy. Training-wise, what are you guys pushing? You know, you talked about having multiple programs within your gym yeah. that you that you have. But what is your what is your go-to? Like, what is your most popular? Yeah. So uh, right now, as far as like forward-facing civilians and everything like that coming in, uh, our BJJ program is is by far the most dominant. I think BJJ has really obviously taken a step up the last at least the last five years. Definitely over the last ten, but the last five, there's been a huge uptick in even just people knowing, you know, what the hell it is. Uh, so the BJJ program is by far our most consistent on the fight side there. You know, me, when I, when people ask like, you know, what's, what's your thing? You know, I, I put myself in the self-defense category. I started in Krav Maga originally, um, you know, since then I've done shit, kickboxing, Kali, you know, firearms training, boxing. I've done, you know, I took a cage fight for fun. I've definitely competed in jujitsu. I love wrestling. So I've dabbled in a little bit of everything, but I, I get the most jazzed up about essentially teaching the self-defense side of things. So we're working on growing that program. But right now, I mean, BJJ is just, everybody's excited about it. It's still the, it's the, the tits, bro. It it's is. The tits. It is it's the tits. Yeah. It's, it's the uh, bees knees as they would say. It is the bees knees. Yeah. It's, uh, it's good because it shit works. Uh, and it's really, the best part about it is when someone has never trained before and they come train, they see the effectiveness of it. That's always, that's always, you see that light bulb click. You're like, or you see them look around the room after their first, like two or three rolls. And they're like, <laughs> just like I need to get better yeah. at this shit. Um, so yeah. cool, man. So you have uh so you are the owner and operator of Endeavor, correct? Yeah, Co-owner. I've got a one business Co-owner. partner. Okay. Uh, technically there's a couple of silent partners in there, but, uh, that own it's one, but it's mostly myself. And then my business partner's name is dude. That's his actual Dude. legal legal name is Dude Pool. So Aaron and Dude run this this uh, awesome <laughs> place called Endeavor in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> I love it, guys. If you're in Columbus, go go train. So not only do you offer like you know CrossFit style workouts, but you also have obviously you were explaining to me prior, but jujitsu and Krav Maga ish yep. style things. Yeah. More specifically, you're really known for for a lot of your knife stuff, like your knife defense. 
Uh, what got you into that realm? Yeah. So, um, the last few years, uh, that's definitely where I think a lot of people outside of Columbus or people that have known me before have caught on to you know, the KCC program, knife control concepts. Honestly, man, it's twofold. One the knife defense has always terrified me, which I, I think anybody who's been in it long enough, you know, if you, if you're not terrified of dealing with somebody with an edged weapon, then you, I just don't think you understand what the hell's going on. No, I mean, it, no, you don't. even the best, you know, quote unquote, best scenarios are just an absolute shit show. So it, it's, I've always been intrigued by stuff. I couldn't figure out as easily. You know, I picked up on kickboxing pretty well. I do pretty good in, in jujitsu and things like that. And, you know, gun defenses and stuff like that. Like not saying I have a lot of run-ins with people trying to shoot me, but but the knife stuff is just like even even when you do the stuff that you're supposed to do based off what the systems are, it's it's just I don't know. Like for me, there was always a inkling in the back of my head that was kind of like, but if they, uh, you know what I mean? It's just like never felt great. So trying to yeah. figure out that problem uh, intrigued the hell out of me. And then the way the KCC program developed because we're very specific. The the KCC program we essentially endeavor to solve one very specific problem, at least initially on, and that's managing and monitoring the fight from when the blade's already out, you're already in contact all the way up until you do whatever the hell it is you want to do. So like from a law enforcement perspective, I might need to, you know, disengage and get to higher force. I might need to get to a position where I'm actually controlling the person and cuffing them. Right. So from a civilian standpoint, I'm not going to be controlling and cuffing. I'm going to be trying to make space. I'm going to be trying to end the threat. I'm going to be trying to maybe access higher force. But whatever the ending is, quote unquote, getting there is the hardest part. And usually in most self-defense systems, at least the systems I was brought up under and I've been exposed to, it's usually like, hey, here's knife defense, like overhand stab. I'm going to make some type of a block. And then here's a series of steps to get you to this very specific disarm. Realistically, knife attacks never look that way. It never starts the way you think it's going to start, and I've yet to see it end the way anybody wants it to end. So we've endeavored essentially to get into that middle ground and figure out, like, how do we get people good at navigating the shit space, the the shirt grabs, people shoving on your face, people changing angles on the blade and the knife. If you do get a grip on it, being able to actually maintain the grip and move and control. So we float in that space. So it's a heavily grappling-based program, even though we know that you have to do striking. You have to have entries. You should know how to get in and out of weapons access and other things. To me, the the most dominant factor that glues all of those possibilities together is being able to navigate the grappling components of it, the, the pieces in there. And it's also, in my opinion, the lesser of the trained, I, I think realistically, like even going back to our conversation about jujitsu, I love jujitsu. I'm a, I'm a brown belt. I'm my main focus personally is to get my black belt. I love the art. It's fantastic. However, we create really terrible tendencies in jujitsu because we're fighting inside of a rule set. You know what I mean? And just like Krav Maga, like my Krav Maga background, we were still fighting. Like we didn't have rules, quote unquote, but we still had a rule set. We were still trying to do the same shit. We were trying to get from outside defense to a very specific disarm. And it's, again, it's just disingenuous to a fight. So Learning how to teach people how to feel energy, move, adapt, adjust, you know, be able to track hands, have awareness of what's going on. I hadn't seen, I don't know, a program that did that. I felt at least well. And we started navigating in that space originally when I was teaching a third-party protection group for a local organization here. And I only saw them once a month. So I would get them four hours a month 
And then, you know, what usually happens in those spaces is by the time I see them the next month, they forgot everything I taught them last month. And so it was, we weren't making a lot of progress. So I was trying to figure out ways that I could get them to continue to practice, understanding that they already have busy schedules. Most of them were cops that were also picking up extra shifts on the side. So they're working double duty and then they've got lives and kids and everything else. So I essentially went to the head guy, good buddy of mine. And I said, look, I said, if you guys like, what's, what's the most amount of time that you could tell me that you would practice every day. And he was like, I don't know, five minutes before a shift starts. And I was like, cool. So if I can create a training program that falls inside of a five minute block, you guys will actually do it. And he was like, yeah, totally. So I started creating wrestling flow drills for them, essentially moving through one or two positions and then having them rep it high reps, high reps, high reps, positions, angles, positions, angles, took them five minutes. I'm sure they didn't do it every day. I'm sure they did it twice or three times a week, but it was enough that by the time I saw them the next month, we had made at least a foothold. We've moved forward a little bit and then we could keep going there. So then I started bringing that training methodology back to our higher level students at Endeavor in our hybrid defense program and started to see just how impactful it was, not only in the knife defense space, but also in the way they handled grappling, the way they actually looked at even kickboxing and sparring and MMA, uh, and then the way they navigated the self-defense situations. So that's, that's the long track of how I started diving down that hole. And it essentially came down to solving what I think is the hardest part first. And then you can build the entries and talk about, you know, parries and arm stops and snap downs and cuffing techniques and, you know, getting to higher force and all that type stuff. But most people suck at the wrestling stuff. You know, it's the hardest shit to train and and it's uh, guilty when somebody's non-cooperative. Yeah. When somebody's non-cooperative, it's, it never goes the way you want it to. So instead of running away from it, which is what I used to do as a Krav Maga instructor, you literally would tell people like, don't wrestle. It's stupid. I don't want to link on to somebody. Like I, I physically told people not to wrestle for years. And then you start realizing like, Hey, when people grab onto you, you're wrestling, whether you like it or not. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, you're now wrestling. So fucking deal with it. But, uh, anyway, so we, we just, we dove head first into that space. And so like our first module, that's all we do. We teach people how to manage that fight. And then after that, then we start building upon it. So it's like reverse engineering. We take the hardest problem, get people really, 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 really good at it almost to, you know, nausea and then build off of that and branch off of that outwardly. And, uh, it, it really works well in a bunch of different programs for law enforcement. It's wonderful, especially for corrections. Yeah. Because it's navigating a situation, you know, being able to control another person, you know, from a correction standpoint, edged weapons of all different types are going to be one of the main priorities, or at least from a deadly threats perspective that they're going to run into. So it fits and molds into a bunch of different backgrounds and contexts, which is really cool. So that's the long-winded, awesome explanation of, you know, how the hell we ended up doing the way that we do the things that we do. Yeah. I think that's important to know kind of where you came from. Um, Yeah. And I... I do like your approach about kind of basing it around um, more of that self-defense type kind of being prepared. Just like you said, like when you train jujitsu, you're fighting in a rule set, right? There's obviously no striking. It's accepted to be on your back. It's almost accepted to lose mobility, right? To like how entangled can I get to my advantage, right? And obviously in in those sorts of ways, in those situations, sometimes you don't want to be that entangled, right? Right. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a really good approach. And I think, I think that's why, you know, we also strive for, I say we as like the community of, of people that 
try to take that grappling wrestling based approach into, let's just say law enforcement in this case. Right. Mm-hmm. And say, Hey, look, jujitsu is great. Jiu-jitsu, the foundation of jiu-jitsu and wrestling and even judo is, is super important, but there's also considerations you need to take in which is yeah. weapons, right? Like weapon retention. Like there was a guy who made a comment. There was a video that we posted about Jay doing a weapon retention from a knee on top position. And the guy's like, well, this would never work in MMA. And I'm like, they have weapon retention in MMA. Like they have yeah. guns in MMA. Like <laughs> I haven't seen Dana White, uh, to talk about it, you know, talk about any of that stuff. And it's just like kind of hysterical. Cause I'm, I'm sure people will comment on your stuff as well and be like, well, that shit will never work. And it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing you that you're going to survive this outcome. If you do this exact step, because it's more like principle and concept based. I think you yes. do a very good job. Like you are very interactive guys. Give, make sure you guys are giving Aaron a follow. He posts a lot of great content, uh, whether it's jujitsu techniques or, or, you know, like the nice stuff. You know, and, and, you know, again, like your name came up a few times, uh, you know, talking to Jay, talking to Craig Douglas, and that's huge coming from those two guys, right? Like those two yeah. guys are, have some credibility and, and, you know, obviously you do yourself as well. So if your approach to this, uh, I would say is very unique because I haven't found anybody else like you, what would you say separates you, not necessarily technique wise, but your approach from others? That's a great question. So I would say the, the biggest thing, anytime you're building out a program is like, what, you know, what is your mission? I, I think a lot of times in my experience, you know, the mission is to, to teach people knife defense, but that's such a broad, I mean, good Lord, you can go a thousand different directions with that. So what separates us out from a mission perspective is our objective is to teach people, not just the movements and the techniques but how to actually train it and embed it into what they already do. So when you go out and you look at a KCC, uh, like a KCC one, which is our, you know, where everybody starts, it's all the whole first day is stand up control mechanics. You're working around the two on one. I'm linking onto a limb that's trying to stab me. Here's all the various versions of the two on one. Here's how we transition and out of them. Here's how hopefully we maybe end up on the back. Cause usually it's easier to fight people when you're on their back. Here's what happens when it transitions to the floor. And then the next day it's all ground stuff, but it's very, very, like you said, it's concept driven. So we're teaching a series of techniques, but when you're looking at it from the outside, and this is where the internet comments come in, it looks like without the full context, if you're not there for the five hours that we're voluntarily wrestling over a blade and fucking around for fun. And that's, that's not it. What we're teaching people to do by forcing them to stay in contact and feel energy and move in and out of these positions, both from bad positions to good positions, and then also when you're in good positions and you lose them and end up in bad positions, what we're doing is we're teaching them how to navigate those spaces. More importantly, during the entire training, we're literally laying out, this is exactly how you practice this. That's one of the biggest things that that I took away years ago is, you know, you go to these seminars and, and I go to a ton of them. I still do. And you're lucky if you take away 20% of the information that you picked up on. If that, bro. If that, and that's, if you're taking (laughs) good notes, you're taking video, you know, whatever that is, you're lucky to walk away understanding 20% of what somebody teaches you. And now what you're going to actually own of that probably is going to end up being about 5% because what usually ends up happening is you're all fired up when you get back from a seminar, you practice the shit out of one or two things for about two weeks. And then it's, you know, it's like ADD, it's like fire truck, boom. And now I'm over here and 
my attention's gone. So, you know, you, you learned a bunch, but you really only absorbed this much. So our entire focus going into KCC is to, to how do we increase that? How do we take that from 5% to 30%? So we show them a baseline of techniques. They rep the shit out of it. It's not like here's 50 techniques. Literally the whole first day, if you boil it down to what we work on, is an inside two-on-one, a frontside two-on-one, an outside two-on-one, back control position, and a snap down. It's literally six. That's it. Yeah. It's six movements, but they're gradually building upon those movements, transitioning in and out of all five of those positions for the entire five hours. So we've increased the repetition on a smaller amount of things so that they actually have a turnaround where they actually make improvement on it as opposed to seeing 30 things and maybe kind of making some headway on it. And then we're teaching them along the way, not only how to practice it. So this is how, Hey, listen, we start static and then we add choreographed energy. And then once that choreographed energy gets to a point where we can manage it at relatively high intensities, then we stack this variable on top of it. So this is, this is your progression. This is the chart you run into. And then we give them actual flow drills. Listen, I don't expect you to drop everything that you're doing and training right now and do this every day. But if you're going to go in for a jujitsu class, grab a buddy, set a timer, two minutes on one side, two minutes on the other side, work through this flow drill. And now you've gotten 50 plus reps in two to three minutes. And then you can go about your business. I'm not asking you to take away 30 minutes to an hour to two hours, which is realistically inconvenient. It's how do we actually get them so that a month after they took the training, they're actually doing the things and making improvements on it. And then we double down on that because everybody who attends any of our trainings or seminars gets full access to our online program that literally has the entire seminar listed off on it. So they can go back, they can refresh it. There's lesson plans, there's things going in it. So that's really the distinction. Like two-on-ones and arm drags and transitions and snap downs, that shit's existed for hundreds of years. Like I didn't invent wrestling. But what we did is we packaged it in a way where we're actually improving people instead of making them feel pretty good about something for two days, maybe three or four afterwards. And then all of a sudden they they've lost almost everything they've learned from it. And it's grossly applicable outside of it. So that would be the one thing that I would say sets us apart is our entire mission is to get them really, really good at a small subset of things instead of trying to show them you know, everything that we know or try to show them the entire journey. I don't, I don't, I think it's disingenuous to try to do that with people. I don't think it's rude or wrong. I just think that when you go out and you say, Hey, look, man, I'm going to show you everything front to back. Like Craig Douglas does an amazing job with his edge weapons overview his EWO because it literally is edged weapons overview. It's not a deep dive. He tells you right up front, we're going to look at the full spectrum from front to back. You're going to get a taste of each piece. And then it's up to you, essentially, like if you suck at managing unknown contacts, you need to go practice that. If you, you know, figured out the wrestling was not your jam, you need to go practice that. I think that's beautiful because he's stating the mission of the program ahead of time. Let me show you this entire journey from initial contact all the way down to hopefully surviving a super violent encounter. And let's pressure test it along the way and show you what's working, what's not working. But you got to get your ass out there and train that. When you come out and say, hey, you know. I'm going to teach you everything there is to know about knife defense. That's a big fucking ask. You better have about six months, you know, of that person's attention to really get it. So we boil it down to this. 
I'm going to teach you how to navigate this very specific problem. And more importantly, I'm going to teach you how to practice it and give you all the resources you need. And then hopefully you go practice it. If you don't, you're fucked, <laughs> right? Essentially is what it's going to come down to. Effective Fitness Combatives has multiple in-person courses available. Texas, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, South Carolina, California, New Jersey, and Florida. Many more to come. Some classes are going to be open for a limited time as they do fill up relatively quickly. We have four-day instructor courses, which seems to be the most popular, two-day end-user courses, weapons-based entanglements, and of course, custom courses for you or your agency. Courses are post-certified in multiple states. For more information, click the link in the show notes for course breakdown and schedule. Online training and certifications are coming soon. Email j at efcombatives.com. That's J-J-A-Y at efcombatives.com for questions or to schedule a course. Because everything physically done is a is a perishable skill, right? Like lifting Amen. is a skill. Like people think, oh, you're just really strong. Yeah, well, it, it takes you years, years to get your squat form correctly, right? Years yeah. to deadlift, years to snatch, all these super, there's nothing different between that and trying to learn to establish a two-on-one, right? Like, and and then really how to flow in and out of, of options from that two-on-one. And I think that's where the consistency comes in. And I do like to hear that you guys are getting a lot of reps because that's where I've been to so many trainings, man, where the instructor will, seems like he's instructing for himself and he's not I've been really. There. I've done that. And I think every instructor has. Whenever you first start, because you want to make sure you don't miss anything. And when you do that, you talk way more than you should. Well, and there's also the imposter syndrome side of it, which is like, let me show you how much I know because I don't feel, I don't, I don't, I don't have confidence in myself. And this is speaking from experience. Sure. I don't have confidence in myself. So let me vomit every awesome thing that I know so that you know that I know more than you so that you'll actually pay attention. Whereas yeah. the really, 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 it takes a while, but when you start getting confident in your ability or just understanding what you're trying to convey, that kind of subsides a little bit. And I, man, I've been there. I have talked to fucking monotony in seminars before. And now it's like, it's almost the opposite. Like we'll be like two hours in and people will be like, dude. And I'll be like, I know like there's a reason it's only five hours a day. Like if you can right. function for eight straight hours, there's probably some gaps in there. Like ours is like five straight hours. There's no long breaks. You get a five to 10 minute break every hour on the hour to go to the bathroom and suck some water. But it's like, yeah, back and let's forth. bust it out for five hours and then yeah. let's go have some beers and we'll come back tomorrow and do the same exact thing, you know? Well, that's how it should be is, is, you know, you got to keep that pace. And I think, I think that's a really good thing to understand. And you can tell what instructors, how they like their experience level in instructing just from the way they talk, the way they present the information, the way that they demo. And two, it's like, Hey, we see these common issues. Here, here are some common shortcomings that we see because they've been doing it for 10 years, right? Five years. And man, it's, and, and that's super valuable for me. Like I've always been big on, um, when I first became a cop, I was all about getting some extra training, but I was like, man, who do I go to? Like, Oh, this guy's got a cool resume. It was like Navy seal Delta, whatever. And I go to one guy's like, Oh, this guy's just been a cop. Well, the Navy seal sounds cool. Then I'll, I'll take that class. And then I, I take that class and I'm like, man, that was awesome. But it was just like Navy seal stuff. And I just felt like just was shooting. Like I didn't really, maybe if I wanted to take a shooting class, maybe I should go to a USPSA guy, right? Like, or if I, you know, want to learn more about de-escalation, maybe I should go to a guy that has law enforcement experience. So knowing how to vet is extremely important. And just because someone has some 
you know, fancy stuff behind their name doesn't mean that, that they're, that they're the tits, right? It, I say that word. I don't know why I've been using that word a lot lately, but here we are. <laughs> it's ball. Hey, um, bring it back. Cause I, I like mean, it, I'm more of an asker anyway, so I, I don't really know why I keep saying that. Well, one thing to that note, like yeah. the only metric, this is my big thing with instructors. The only metric that matters is the improvement of the student. You know what I mean? And that's, and again, like that doesn't mean like if I go to a seminar that's, you know, I mean like, good Lord, some of Craig Douglas's days, I mean, 12 hour days and there's a lot of lecture in there, but it's, it's intellectually amazing. You know what I mean? But it's just a different pace. It's a different structure. It's a different intention behind it. I mean, guys like Ryan, uh, you know, my buddy Ryan Hoover down in, uh, Charlotte, like, holy shit, man. Like every time I take a seminar down with him, like I walk away going like my head's exploding. So there's like different intentions into it, but the only metric that matters, no matter how, what the reputation is of anybody, I don't care what their background is. They could be, you know, they could have single-handedly, you know, killed Osama bin Laden with a punch to the face, but then they had to cover it up with a whole story about a SEAL team. Oh, I don't give a shit. The only thing that matters is, can I actually move the student forward? That's it. So experience is only one variable, the whole entire thing. Background's only one variable teaching like transfer of knowledge is its own skill set. I mean, I've seen, I mean, think about this, like high level weightlifters, for instance, like have you ever been to like an Olympic weightlifting seminar? I have. Yes. And you, you ever take one from like a really high level weightlifter? Uh, not like an Olympic level weightlifter, but okay. I have taken probably like, for the you know. best because most of the time, it, here's the thing, like People that are at that level, not always, this is not always the case, but people that are at that level, you have to be like selfish in your own physical training. You have to have some form of already pretty decent natural ability. Like you don't get to that level without having some natural ability. And for a lot of those people, things have a tendency to just make sense and to click. And it's very hard for somebody at that level to come down to the person that has trouble with motor control, basic patterns and being like, no, 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 no. When you lift, I need your butt not to go up. I need your chest and your hips to elevate at the same rate. And it's like, that's quantum fucking physics for some people, man. It's like crazy, yeah. but mean? it's, yeah. Right. But you yeah. talk to some of like, you know, I, I've been to seminars with really high level weightlifters and it's fascinating to watch them move. And you can pick up if you're a visual learner, you can pick up on a lot visually, but sometimes it can be very difficult for them to relate to people that aren't talented um, or maybe don't have their level of talent. And it's the same thing. Like the only thing that matters, I don't care if you've been weightlifting for two years, if you can teach me something and it makes me better, like that's your vetting process. When people ask me about like, what, you know, Hey, how do I find out a good gym or how do I find out a good seminar? I usually tell them to reach out to people that have taken the classes as opposed to reaching out and vetting the instructors. Go talk to somebody who's taken the class specifically that falls into your context. You know, right. like you're saying, if I'm a law enforcement officer you know, I shoot to kill is not exactly the first thing that like, it shouldn't be like, he's got a knife, bang, bang, bang. You know what I mean? It's like, fuck me. It's like, no, 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 There's a context that goes to this. So it's, there's skill sets that can work in there, but what's the context of it? You're like, I love this one. And, and again, I'm, I'm a firearms instructor. I respect the shit out of CQB, but like most civilians that are doing like team tactics, CQB courses, you should probably go take wrestling. Like from a more applicable yeah, standpoint. I would reinvest somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. It's like, What's your context, you know? And I think that's a big part of it. I mean, guys that want to spend that money, please. That's It's that's fun a, as shit. It's it's fun. It's super fun to do. Um, but is it applicable? And that's kind of where, you know what? I was talking to a buddy about this the other day about, about you know, certain people having like 
Patreons or like paywalls where they can, people can get like information from these individuals. And a lot of the individuals are like former, former like action guys, not saying that they're not credible. They're, they're, you know, super experienced, but it's like, okay, with all this knowledge, like, what do you need it for? Like, like I, I'm just super <laughs> yeah. curious, like you're paying, you're paying money to understand about nods and understand about like team tactics and room clearing and throwing flashbangs and all that stuff. Like, unless that's your job, like unless you, that's your job. One, you good luck getting flashbangs. Like, I mean, yeah, you should get like, you know, training <laughs> bangs and stuff, but like, you know, it's the thing is like, I'm all about for people getting as much exposure as possible. Right. Like there's no secret to this stuff, but it's, it's all about time and money, right? Like yeah. more time, yeah, yeah. like where are you investing your time? Like, okay, cool. You can clear your entire house like a fucking stud. Great. You have that skill. What if that person like, or what if you're on the street and you have to physically run with your children a hundred yards to oh, cover? Man, can yeah. you physically do that? Right. Or can you physically control another human that's trying to take your child? Like, are you just yeah. going to slap them in the face? Like, what are you going to do? You know? So really training for your reality is I, I think super important. Again, once you have a solid foundation in training for your reality, then this, the other stuff just becomes additional knowledge that you can then possess, whether it's like CQB right. or, you know, or things like that. I'm not saying you shouldn't train those things. I'm saying that if you suck at other things that are more relevant to you, then you yeah. should probably get those things. Yeah. It's hierarchy. It's, I mean, you know, again, same, same shit great. in jujitsu, like hierarchy of positions, hierarchy of what's going on. And don't get me wrong. Like, again, it's fun as shit. So if you go into it going, this is going to be fun. I'm going to get with the dudes. A couple of us are going to go out. We're going to do this. That's great. But you know, I, I think it was, uh, wasn't it Craig, Craig had had like a t-shirt made or something like that because in a forum, somebody was talking about like, what's the next carbine class I should take or something like that. And he, he essentially said like, if you don't have the physical skill set to stop five guys from prison raping you, Dude, then you should, true, you probably man. shouldn't it's take true. another like, carbine I course. See, I see it all the time. <laughs> like in law enforcement, they already talk about all these guns they have and that's great. I'm all for owning guns, you know, pro two, a hundred percent. It's like, cool, man. You own like 15 pistols. How many jujitsu classes have you taken? Like what's your surgical? Okay. So you have $20,000 in guns, but you won't, in, but you won't spend a hundred bucks a month at a jujitsu school to learn to actually retain that weapon. Because if you don't, if you're not training retention, you're not training with weapons and just a holster for somebody else's gun. Cause it's, it's very easy to take something from somebody. I mean, you know that as well as I, do. it's very easy to take a gun. From somebody. It's easier to take it away than it is to retain it. Right. Like, cause you control that leverage point. So, you know, for the most part, I always try to tell guys like train within your reality, train for what you're going to experience, you know, especially in law enforcement. Like, do you need to take 15 CQB classes a year? No, you probably need to take one. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, well, unless, unless that's your job, like if you're on SWAT and yeah, unless, unless your job is SWAT, right. Unless your job is, is, is whatever. But again, you brought up a really good point that I, that I kind of want to bring back is there were two things that you said actually that I, I really liked. One was, um, feeling energy. You kept, you kept kind of using that word or that little phrase. And I really like that because I think, uh, I think a lot of people don't know what that actually means as someone, if you train, you do, if you train, you feel energy. And, you know, I guess the way that I, you know, you probably have your definition of kind of what energy is, right. You know, I feel it. It's like, it's like intention. Like what is the intention behind it? Is it, is it, am I receiving a lot of energy? Do I have to deflect? Do I have to push back? Do I, you know, whatever that case may be, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, how much can I conserve of my own energy and still maintain a safe position or even win the situation? But I kind of want to dive into what you mean by feel energy. Yeah, that was, that was a cool phrase. 
Yeah, it's um, a, a lot of times in, and again, like I can only speak to my experience. Every, you know, I tell people this all the time. Like anything I say is limited by my experience and it's solely my opinion, right? Like none of us actually know what the hell we're talking about. We're just spitting off opinions. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in my experience, the majority of techniques that are taught in most self-defense systems tend to be predicated off of visual cues in some form, right? Like if you think about even the way that like a Krav Maga program, again, and, and again, I'm speaking of Krav Maga, that's because that's early on. That's what I started in. But it's like, okay, overhand knife defense. Well, the assumption in that case is that I'm picking up on a visual cue that that's where the arm is. That's where the knife is. So it's like, that's one sense to pick up on, but those things can change pretty quick. And when we have it where it's like, oh, that visual cue, that very specific thing, I'm now supposed to do step A, B, C, and D. Again, it's just, it's, it's, it's hyper unrealistic. It's not plausible, right? Right. Or, or I'd say it's less plausible in those cases, unless it's so egregious, you know what I mean? Like they're literally arm over their head, which can happen. You know what I mean? Like very unexperienced people snap and attack people all the time. So it's like arm over their head and they're just repetitively doing this same exact motion. It's like, okay, at some point in time I can pick up on that cue and that is what it is. To me, on the other hand, the feeling where tactile stuff comes into play and where I think if, in, again, in my opinion, if people spent more time hyper vigilant about the tactile sense of things is that I can see an arm move forward and backward, but if I'm in contact with the person, I can also feel the arm move forward and backward, even if I'm not exactly holding on to the arm. And it's actually really fascinating. Uh, we'll loop back to this, but uh, Rory Miller, who wrote some very good books back in the day, and I know he still travels around and, and trains some things, but I took a, a seminar with Rory Miller a long time ago. And one of the things he actually had us do was you blindfolded and then you would like put your hand on a guy and he would very slowly go through combatives and you had to try to guess what he was doing. And you could you could pick up on a bunch of stuff. Just by having my hand on the dude's shoulder, I could tell how he was rotating for a hook or a cross, how he was picking up his weight for a you know thing. And then you would latch two hands on. And now I have more sense of energy of what's going on. I can pick up on more. And then we'd get in closer. So now you have your hand and your forearms are touching and then you'd be linked up. And it's amazing what you can pick up on. I still to this day will do entire jujitsu rounds, my eyes closed, just to pick up and feel, again, different movements and different energies. But those senses those movements, the ability to feel only comes from constant exposure. Whereas the visual cue stuff in training and martial arts in general, like, okay, we're going to do overhand knife. I see the overhand knife. Okay. I picked up on that. I go to this. You can, you can assess that maybe a little bit faster depending on, you know, when we get into stress testing and stuff like that. And then you find out like your visual cues are shit. At some point, like somebody distracts you, they stab down low. That's a whole different thing. But feeling somebody's energy from get-go takes time. It takes experience. And in my opinion, it's a combination of your visual cues, your tactile cues, even sometimes your auditory cues. But you're creating this, whether you want to call it a gut feeling or a gut sensation that comes where I'm, I've Rolodexed enough movements and, and shifts in body weight and I've seen enough left hooks and enough right crosses that before they even throw the thing, I'm already knowing they're about to throw the thing. That's where like the speed of that stuff comes. And you, the only way to get that is 500 to 1,000 reps in. 
And so when we talk about it specifically in, um, you know, like the KCC program, and then like when I teach, you know, feeling energy inside of the, the classes, it's like, look, if I do 50 ar- uh, arm drags against zero resistance, I'm feeling what I should feel like as I'm moving around the orientation of the arm. And then I start having the bad guy move around a little bit, what we would refer to as choreographed energy. So for choreographed energy, maybe it's just a forward, backward thrust and pull of an arm. It's like, I know the, the energy's there. I'm going to take advantage of it, but I also know what the energy is. It stays in one plane over and over again. So then now, now this is what an arm drag is going to feel like and how I'm going to time it based off energy, right? If he's moving the arm this way and I'm going the opposite direction, like that's beautiful. And then we start just getting people to start feeling pushes, pulls, and then create responses to them. And then 50 reps in, they're starting to get a feel for it. And then 100 reps in, they're starting to understand this. And where feeling energy really comes into play, like when you've quote unquote owned it, is that time and space where you see people like shoot a double leg and it's like they disappeared and you went this way and they were already underneath you and you were gone. That wasn't a technique. That's not, I'm going to snap, I'm going to hit a double. That was 500 to 1,000 reps of a double leg and the timing of it. And they knew they could feel right as you were about to push in, all right, game on. And then they disappear, right? And that's, that's hard to build because it takes time. And that's the hardest, like you said, that's the biggest, you know, limited commodity that we have is time. It's time, yeah. And, and you so, a good point, man. You brought up a good point. I'm going to right there. You brought up a really good point about the reps and about feeling it with your eyes closed. Like, I thought that was... That was something that's really cool. And that's something I believe and something that I do sometimes as well. I mean, sometimes you don't have a choice not to see because there's shoulders in your face uh, (laughs) with a, you know, like a, you know, with like a solid cross face. So your eyes are closed anyways, and you got to feel their, you got to feel their weight distribution. You got to have kind of a response for that. But it's all about the reps, man. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that everything we've kind of talked about just comes into that exposure to the reps. And I think that, you know, instruction with reps, like, because again, as you start to pick up intensity, things may start to not be as tight. They may like, for example, if you're trying to hit an arm drag, like you may get sloppy with your footing and you may not take that penetrating step, depending on how you do an arm drag, there's 50,000 ways to do an arm drag. Right. But like 50,000 and five actually. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Those five I'm practicing, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, that brings up a really good point about body awareness. Right. And I think it's just by doing something like jujitsu or wrestling, you know, you're going to start to let your, your limbs are going to be able to start work independently, which I, I think is huge. For example, just like, leg pummeling, right? Like leg pummeling when you're, when you're trying to pass, right? You can't see your legs. You can't see what your leg, you can't see what their legs are doing, but you have to be able to feel, and you're like, okay, I know I have to use this position in order to get inside position or to get outside position, whatever you're trying to do, right? Whatever the goal is there. So, you know, that's a, that's actually a really good point. Uh, as an instructor, how do you, um, as intensity increases, how do you catch those little like deficiencies or shortcomings that you're seeing? And then how do you kind of correct that path without being like, Hey, all right, well, now you fucking suck. Go back to zero. Like, so how do you kind of not really nitpick, but how do you still improve your students in that fashion? That's a fantastic question. So, you know, there's a couple of layers to this as far as you're going into it. The first thing is moving intensity up in what we refer to as like a meaningful manner. So in, in all of our trainings, the way that I explain to people is that you should be winning the vast majority of the time and winning is doing the thing you're trying to do. So if we're doing 
a static again, like just to stay with the references we've been doing. If we're doing a static arm drag where I clear the arm, catch the back of the elbow, move the elbow across the body line, and I just take a step. The bad guy's not doing anything. They're a, a zombie and they're just letting me move around them. Then you should be doing that the vast majority of the time. You should be doing that properly. So if I do everything I'm supposed to do, I drag the arm the direction I'm supposed to, I take my penetrating step, that was a win, right? You should be winning the vast majority of the time and you should be losing. So you should be messing things up. If you're winning 10 out of 10, then you're, you've surpassed that drill or that skill and you should be increasing some variable to then challenge yourself, right? So again, with an arm drag, you know, maybe it's, hey, we're clearing the elbow, take a penetrating step. And then now I'm trying to get them to take the penetrating step and then pivot into an outside two-on-one. Well, now we're adding a layer to what the arm drag is. And if they fumble their way through one or two reps out of 10, that's how we know that that's a good intensity level. We've added just enough sauce for you to still be able to do it pretty damn good, but to struggle just a little bit. Because that's where learning takes place. You don't you don't learn when you're acing everything. It's Correct. like a day out on the range. If you go out on the range and you fire off 50 rounds and you're like quarter size grouping with 50 rounds, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, that was wasted 50 rounds. You should have I fucked agree. up at least one thing. You need to go faster or draw in a different way or do 20 burpees and then make your shots. I don't know, whatever it is, but you got to be doing something to push that. Or else you're just padding your ego at that point, and that's not going to help you when when push comes to shove. Right. So, so that's the first layer where instructors, in my experience, myself included, in the past, I'm getting better at it. I still do it sometimes, but where we have a tendency to do things is like we create these progressions in our head, and we kind of force people along these progressions because that's what the lesson plan said, and then we get them into these like very intense drills that are way past what they needed to be from an intensity standpoint where they should have probably stopped at step three. And then I can let these other guys go to step five. There's a layer of that. So that's one piece of the puzzle. So I usually tell people like 90, 10, 80, 20 principle, you should be winning most of the time. Cause if you're, if you're totally messing up, then you need to go the other way. You need to slow things down or take a couple of variables out so that you're acing whatever that is. So that's the first piece of the puzzle. Now, when they start having those issues, I'm all about uh, like the one thing. I want to fix one thing. If you go into a training session and again, like we'll, we'll keep it with what we've been doing. We want to work on the arm drag and you're having an issue with it and I can make one improvement on your arm drag, then that's all I need for today. I don't need to fix the arm drag and make it perfect. In fact, it's highly unlikely if I make you fix three things, it's unlikely that it'll stick. I would rather this one thing stick, right? So like for instance, when we teach punches, the first thing I want to make sure that people can do in a punch is hurt somebody. I don't care if your hands stay up. I don't care where your footwork's at. If I punch you in the head and they laugh because your punch is trash, it doesn't matter if your hands stay up. They're just going to beat the hell out of you and it's not going to matter. So if I hit somebody, all that matters is I can generate force. I don't care if your hands are down here, you know, like old school, like, you know, a la Chuck Liddell back in the day when he had that like low left hook. Yeah, like, yeah. You can have your hands wherever you want. I don't care. If you can hit and make force. That's all I'm worried about day one. Until you lock that in, we can go. Now, if you're hitting pretty solid, okay, cool. Like, all right, now let's like try to track our hands back to our face. And if you can do that 80% of the time, I'm good with it. We'll move on to something the next day. Then we can talk about toe in and we can talk about the way you build a fist and we can talk about setting up combinations. We can talk about balance and changing levels, but none of that shit matters 
except this one thing. So I want to fix one thing. And the way that I analyze it is I, I, I fix the thing that I imagine will solve the most problems. So if I'm only going to fix one thing, I want to pick whatever my Rolodex is as an instructor. Maybe I'm picking up on six things that they could correct. I want to pick the one thing that's going to solve as many of those as possible. It's going to make the biggest impact and then have them hyper-focus on that. So again, with an arm drag, it could be like, okay, well, you're not turning your shoulder and your hip in. That's usually what's going to keep you on the outside of the tricep. And that's a whole thing that we can get into. But if I just drag and I stay shoulder to shoulder on this side, we're not going anywhere. We're going to do si and you're going to pull out of the arm drag and nothing happens. Yeah. So I've got to turn the corner. I got to get this shoulder in. So it's like, boom, turn that shoulder over. So I can make a choice. I can emphasize your footwork to turn your hip and your shoulder over. Or if you're, if, you know, if I'm looking at you going like, ah, footwork's probably not going to resonate with this guy so much then I'm just going to tell you to shoulder punch the shit out of them with your outside. Once you go to drag, I want you to punch them with your left shoulder. If they yep. punch them with their left shoulder, I don't care. Honestly, I don't care if they're tripping over their feet right there because what they're doing is they're, they're making a connection. They're, they're creating a synapse that's going to go, oh, when I pull the arm for the arm drag, this shoulder turns in and I'll fix their feet later. So that's yeah. the way that I approach it and I address it. And that's, that's going to come from backgrounds and experiences like – sure. What are you picking up on? What are you recognizing? What drills do you have to solve those problems? But like you said, you know, earlier on when we were talking, if you're an instructor and you've, you know, done 10,000 arm drags and you've, more importantly, you've taught and seen 10,000 arm drags go right and go wrong, then you have a Rolodex of like, ah, okay, out of those 10,000, 70% of the time, this was the problem. So I'm going to focus on that. And then 20% of the time it was this. And then 10% of the time is where it's like the sprinkly salts that's like high level performance. And to be completely honest, most people from a self-defense perspective are never going to need that shit. They need to be aggressive as hell about like the three key points that are going to get them into that position violently and aggressively to then move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And again, that's my opinion. That's my experience on it. You know, that's actually a really good approach because because I take, so when I watch jujitsu instructionals, I'll, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, I'm a big Danaher guy. I love John. Yeah, um, I love the way the he fuck. explains things. The nerd, uh, man. Puts, oh my God. It's incredible. Anyway. Huge nerd. He puts me to sleep. I absolutely, I absolutely love him. Uh, you know, I've spent probably half my 401k on his instructionals, but you know, <laughs> when I, cause they're fucking $300 or whatever. Stupid. You and me both, man. And I, I probably buy him watch four hours. I'm like, all right, I got to go to, all right, now I really suck at, you know, this and I got to go buy the different instructional. You're like, have I ever done an arm bar? It's like, I've done 5,000 arm bars, but he makes you feel like you've never done an arm bar. I've never thought about this. Like it's crazy. <laughs> Dude. So I'm in a Nogi guard passing hype right now. Um, and so I, I've been watching his instructional and I've, probably watch the same volume, just like like the third or fourth volume of videos and that thing like 50 yeah. times. And every time I watch it, I'm like, and I'm just in the footwork phase. And I'm like, fuck, oh, yeah. he's blowing. He's like, there's seven steps to passing guard. I'm like, fuck, seven? <laughs> like, okay. But again, how I take notes with that is, you know, I'll write down like the title or the heading of the, mm-hmm. of the topic. And then, uh, you know, of course, it's like 15 minutes, sometimes longer of dialogue for each each individual movement. That's why people sometimes can't watch an entire John Danaher instructional because they're eight hours fucking long. Right. Yeah. And it's packed with more knowledge than I'll ever remember. But if I can take away three points from, let's just say like inside passing, right? Like if I can take away three points from this one particular inside pass, 
okay, now I'm going to go back to class and I'm going to drill this inside pass. I'm going to focus on those three points. And then of course, after I focus on those three points and I feel confident, I'm going to roll with a higher level. Uh, you know, once I can do it on a, on a blue belt or a white belt, great. Now I'm going to try it on a purple, brown, or even black belt and see what deficiencies there. Okay. Maybe those three points I have down pat. Now I'm running into, all right, I have to make sure he can't get that outside leg inside mm-hmm. start framing on me. Right. So, okay. Now how do I address that back to the fucking video? Right. So it's like Shane Coley does a really good job. Um, I had him on the podcast. Um, I don't, do you know who Shane Coley is? I'm not familiar. So Shane is the captain of team Glock. Uh, he's a, he's oh, a nice. multi-time world champion, blah, 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 blah. Just absolute stud of a guy. Phenomenal Olympic lifter. Like nice clean and jerk. Like, oh yeah. Like if you can and jerk, shoot like and do a heavy clean and jerk, we're friends as far as I'm oh, yeah, concerned. No, he, he's, dude, he, he, he's absolutely <laughs> snatches. Like he's big into Olympic lifting. I mean, he can, last time I saw him clean, it was like 385 or 395. Like, a significant Oof. amount of weight. Yeah, yeah, I know. How a, big is he? He's a beast. He's a big. He's a beast. Like he shoots a forty for competition. So um, <laughs> he has to have some grip strength. But I got these little hands, you know, man. I ain't shooting forty. Yeah, so I asked him. Like he shot a. Uh, there's a a video of him shooting. A, I might fuck this up, but it's it's on Instagram. He shot a like a, a triple bill drill with the forty in like four four seconds or something something flying fast like yeah it sounded like an automatic pistol right so like a glock 18 or whatever and i asked i said shane like how do you get better like you are the best how do you get better than being the best and it's always good to talk to like the michael jordans of the sport i guess is probably mm-hmm. the best way to put it and it's like dude i have he's like i don't keep my first my first place trophies uh in my house like i I do. They're in a different room, but I keep my second place trophies like right above the sink. So when I'm washing dishes, I'd be like, fuck, like second place when I, you know, should have got first place. He's like, I keep just like you said, and you said it just in a different way, but he's like, I find that red line every time when I'm on the range, I find that red line. I back off a little bit. I make that backing off a little bit. The new normal. Yeah. When that's new normal, it moves my needle. But again, 1% better for him is like, incredible right so he's probably moving in like 0.1 increments of percentage mm-hmm. to get better right like it's just like it's just like when you're maxing out right you had those you had like those half pound plates and you're like hell yeah a fucking buckle bro you know <laughs> that's my favorite man the twinks with a little yeah, baby plates like, you, on the outside hell yeah I will, I will absolutely take a 303 clean thank you very much <laughs> all day long right it's like that 305 is not going up but i got 303 no no no, no. <laughs> Like that 303.5 <laughs> people really don't know like it's so great to see success and the fact that you can see success relatively fast especially if you know nothing if you go from yeah. knowing nothing to a little bit of direction your uh increase of like survival likelihood of winning the situation uh mm-hmm. or winning the individual whatever the you know situation may be you know, from going to knowing nothing to knowing something yeah. is massive. So from being a knowing nothing in jujitsu to having a two years on, you're going to see a massive increase in your oh, yeah. capability, right? So just like, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, just cause you suck at it right now, give yourself some time to then practice and get those reps in. And then man, like, again, like, you know, you may know why a guy who just started, you give him tears of jujitsu and you're like, okay, I, I, I can't just like, do whatever with this guy anymore. Like he actually right. knows how to retain guard. Like I actually have to work to pass his guard now just because yeah. he's putting just a little bit of time. So going from zero to 50% is actually not that difficult. 
going from 50% to that 90%, yeah, you're going to spend some fucking time. You're going to lose. Oh, you're yeah. going to do a lot less. But from knowing nothing to something, I think is where people kind of talk about it. So one of my last questions for you is how do you get people to stay consistent? Like what is your strategy there? Man, that's the toughest part, right? And, um, you know, I think the last few years have, at least for me, you know, uh, you know, owning a brick and mortar facility and like seeing people in and out the, the last few years, obviously with like COVID and, and it, a lot of people had mindset changes. It just put different things into perspective, like how it was going, like their jobs and their kids and their families and all that type of stuff. Consistency becomes essentially a battle of priorities, right? Is what it comes down to. Cause when something's a super high priority, we will generally eat some shit to, to make it happen because it's a priority, right? When it's and nine times out of 10 priorities are chosen, right? You know, we make a lot of excuses for why they're not, but realistically like priorities are chosen. So when we get into that point where if we're going to get somebody through the door consistently, in my opinion, they need to realize the why that they're there. And that's, and this isn't even an on the mat conversation. This is like an off the mat conversation or an off, you know, outside of the gym conversation. Like, you know, why are you here? Well, I want to lose 10 pounds. It's like, okay, that's, that's cool. But when we lose 10 pounds, then what? Because consistency is not 10 pounds. Consistency is like 10 pounds is what most people end up on. Like the whole, you know, they call it yo-yo diet thing. It's like, I'm going to burn 10 pounds. Oh, I made it. And then I'm going to add 10 pounds. And it's just, it's not good. Consistency is where you're going to get anything done. And you got to know why. And nine times out of 10, there's a deeper reasoning why, right? So somebody comes through the door and they say, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds. I found, you know, jiu-jitsu sounded fun and I could lose some weight. It's like, okay, cool. Like, why do you want to lose 10 pounds? That's a whole nother fucking question. You know what I mean? And that can go back into, well, you know, for females sometimes like post-baby, it's like, well, that was pre-baby weight. Okay, well, now we're getting into a whole different category. And it's like you can dive down that hole. So really getting them to realize why they're there on a deep level, not superficial. You know, I want to look good naked. That's cool. That's cool. That's, hey, I want to look good naked too. I want my wife every day. I want her to wake up and be like that. That's, I want that. Yeah. I get that. But then it's like, but why is that? You know what I mean? Like, who are you getting naked for? What's that for? Is this, if I go, you know, I show up at the gym every day and I, you know, uh, whether there's anybody there or not. I'll do a training session on my own. Training on your own is tough if you're not used to it. Like training on your own can be tough. I love it. I get a training session. I wake up in the morning. I feel like trash. Like this morning, like alarm went off and it's just like one of those ones that's like 6 a.m. BJJ. It's like, oh, like I don't want to go. It's uh, the bed's so comfy. <laughs> the but it's worst. Like, yeah. So why am I going to drag my ass out of bed for that? Now, for me, I'm teaching the 6 a.m. class. I kind of have to. But on a Wednesday, I don't have to. I go to 6 a.m. judo. I got somebody else teaching that class. But I drag my ass out of bed because I have a goal. That goal is black belt and BJJ. What does black belt and BJJ mean to me personally? Well, a couple of things. First off, it's a big fucking accomplishment. and It's 14 years coming. So it's like, shit, man, I'm a two-stripe brown belt. Like it's like, it was like when I got my brown belt, I was like, fuck. Like now I have to get my black belt. It's like if you stop at brown belt, it's like, dang it. Why did I even bother? I know so many guys (laughs) that have stopped at brown belt, dude. Oh, I was a floater. Like you could have coin tossed at purple belt. Like, cause I was just rolling for fun. 
you could have coin tossed right. a purple belt, whether I was going to go black or not. But man, the second that, that I got my brown belt, I was like, ah, shit. All right. Well, I guess I got to start a path. A few for black more years belt. won't hurt anybody. Yeah. But like yeah. for me, like, you know, so it's a personal accomplishment. I really do love the art. So it's where I get like, you know, I get my self care out of that because in BJJ, I teach one jujitsu class a week. That is it. So all of the other days in jujitsu, I'm a student. And for me as an, like, as an instructor, you should always be a student. And that's where I get to be a student constantly. Mike, who's, uh, you know, one third of the KCC program is my coach. He's a black belt and he murders me. Like the second that I feel like I'm getting any good at jujitsu, I just roll with Mike and he reminds me that I don't know shit about jujitsu compared to <sighs> people that are on another level. You know, the other one third of KCC is Eli Knight, who just got his third degree black belt and is oh, like, Oh yeah, Eli Knight's yeah. a stud. I like him. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you talk about the people will be like, Oh yeah, it's, you know, those, those BJJ guys. And I'm like, I'm the brown belt with these like two like high level intense black belts. But anyway, <laughs> so it's like, for me, it's a personal journey. I love the art. I love every minute of it, but it's also a business thing. As a black belt, I give more opportunities to be able to go out and do things. So what does that matter? Yeah. Well, I got a family. This is how I take care of my family. This is what I do. This is the only you know, source of primary income coming into this household is me being of it. So there's Absolutely. a deep fucking why for why I'm going to get out of bed at 6 a.m. So priorities matter and you got to know why on, a, on, in my opinion, at a deeper level. So that's piece number one. That's a, in my opinion, that's a verbal conversation. Piece number two, there has to be a sense of accomplishment. Like you were talking about going from zero to 50% like baller. So there needs to be yeah. a sense of accomplishment consistently. And there needs to be a recognition of whether you want to call it failure or need to grow. Right. So you have to have both of those. If you're constantly getting the shit kicked out of you, that's going to wear on you. You have no successes that you can accomplish. You feel terrible about what you're doing. You just feel run down and beat to hell and you're going to give up and get burned out. On the opposite end of the spectrum, if you show up every day and you don't have a challenge, all of a sudden you start getting complacent. And then when you get complacent, you're like, why am I even bothering? I'm not even getting challenged anymore. Both of those come down to you know, what I like to do is I debrief the majority of my classes and seminars with two very simple questions. Everybody goes around and they say one thing they did well in class and the one thing they need to work on next class. And that's it. It's two simple questions. But what you're doing is you're celebrating a win. You're admitting that you did something well. So I am actually good at this. And you're also admitting that you ain't shit and you got to still work on stuff. Right. And so you're admitting both of those. And then the last piece of the puzzle with consistency it, well, I'd say there's like two, but you got to stay healthy. And I think people run themselves into the ground. They get very excited very early on. They dive into shit head first and then they'll get a nagging injury. And it, it, that is tough to fight back from. So that psychologically, in my opinion, is like keeping the body healthy, but then also keeping shit fun. So if you got to boil it down for that awesome thing, it's like, why are you there? Right. You know, celebrate wins and losses stay healthy. That should be the main thing, longevity, because you're not going to get a black belt in two years. It's going to take 10. So if you're signing up for a 10-year journey, thumbs up. And then last but not least, fucking have fun, man. Like nobody wants to do shit that's not fun, especially if you're not getting paid for it. Yeah. You know, you can suffer through well, Olympic agree, level man. training because you're going to yeah. get notoriety out of it. Yeah, man. And, and you know, to kind of hit on the belt thing, because I get that question a lot about the belts. I'm a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, and I uh, I spent three years of my training as a no-stripe white belt. Totally. 
Yeah, yeah. And but the thing is, is I I did it because I had something like my why was I was trying to arrest somebody and they didn't want to be arrested, and I didn't know what to do. And, I, and that was my why, so I could give a fuck about a piece of cloth. That's a you know big I mean? fucking why. Yeah, that's a big why. I was like, why? Well, I, I I almost like, luckily I was able to talk to the guy and and level with him. But I think from a business perspective, yes, having a black belt is is looks looks really good. I think your skill and capability and your ability to instruct doesn't reflect a brown belt, right? Like, thank you. Appreciate you know, it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah. And that, dude, that's, that's, I see your report. Cause I know, again, you have, you have guys that won 80 CCs that were blue belts. Right. So it's like, Oh yeah. 16 year old yeah. purple belts are winning 80 CCs, right? Like are yeah. winning trials. So it's super incredible to see, you know, to see that and to really know that there is levels to this shit. And that's what's oh, like yeah. super important. Cause like you may be a black belt, but then there's like black belts out there, right? You yeah. have black belts and you have black belts and there's a big difference in those. Take that all the way back to the conversation we had earlier about like context and vetting instructors and programs, all that type of stuff. Right. Like the black belt doesn't mean shit in and of its own right. The, the piece of material doesn't matter. It's going to come right. down to the individual. That's it. Right. Like, and that's with that's every it. program. It doesn't matter what it is. Every so the program. only thing that matters is, you know, what is the metric you're trying to weigh it against? And then how does it weigh up against that metric? Right. So it's like, right. I mean, dude, okay. you look at Bo Nichols, blue belt. Fuck I mean, no. I, I don't think anybody <laughs> pays pay attention to, to, or knows who Bo Nichols is. I don't is, know if you he, guys he, know he was, who Bo Nichols is, but look his ass up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was one of the, I mean, he's probably one of the best wrestlers to ever live. Yeah. Right. That'd probably be a fair statement. And now he's in the UFC and he's submitting dudes in seconds, like high level yeah. MMA fighters. And he's a technically a blue belt in jujitsu. Granted, he was a D1 wrestler at Penn state, but besides that, like, you know, there is, there is levels of this shit guys in, you know, train for skill and competency, you know, and to those that own gyms as someone who doesn't own a gym or someone who can't promote anybody, I will say this, the belts and the tape, they mean nothing yet. They mean everything. That's the big fucking part. So Mike Cheney, he's the head of my BJJ program at Endeavor, and he's my coach. And even as a purple belt, I, like I've, he's been my primary training partner for, God, I don't even know, six years, six plus years now. And at purple belt, I was learning stuff from him. The belt never mattered. It never does. From the tangible factual, the belt doesn't matter. You're either, you can either teach something, do something, execute on something, or you can't. doesn't matter what your belt color is. The perception for the people that don't know, if you had to go like, and I say you as in like general public, but if you sure, were like, sure. Hey, you have three seminars, uh, all three seminars are $100. I'm not going to tell you what the seminars are about, but I'll tell you that one is taught by a blue belt. One is taught by a brown belt and one is taught by a second degree black belt. Most people just going based off of not knowing anything else are going to go, well, I'll go with the secondary black belt. He obviously knows what he's talking about. So it gets your foot in the door. It's a resume builder. It puts you in a category where you have, I guess, clout and reputation walking in, even if they don't know it. And that is important from business. That's another thing with martial artists in business is we, we and I'm going to say this because I did this forever, we fall into these stigmas that's like, well, I know better and my way is the best. I don't need a belt to prove it. And it's like, well, yeah, but you don't get to coach anybody unless you get them through the door and you're not going to get them through the door unless you appeal to their needs, their desires right. and what they think they need to get out of it. So you right. got to get your foot in the door. So play the game and then execute when they show up, you know, and that's the piece of it. Like it's just not as cool 
if I run, like I can run around town and tell everybody or like run around the country and say, Hey, you guys want to do some knife defense shit? And they'll be like, yeah, you're the knife defense guy. Like you want to do some active shooter stuff? They're like, yeah, you wrote the fucking book on active shooters. Like I can pull that card. Cause I got the credibility there. Right. But if I run around and like message a random BJJ gym, be like, what's up guys. I'm a two stripe Brown belt from Columbus, Ohio. And you don't know who the fuck I am, but can I come teach a seminar at your gym? They're going to be like, no. They're gonna be like, <laughs> yeah. They're going to be like, you mean a karate? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the thing, man. It's like, People only <laughs> recognize the black belt, but those that train jujitsu, because I get that question all the time, like, how long take it? How'd you get your blue belt? And I'm like, fuck, man, a blue belt. I, I'll be honest with you, it, it didn't mean that much to me. My purple belt probably meant more to me than my blue belt, simply because, like, I didn't, I didn't care. And then when I got my purple belt, I felt it out like that I had earned it, you know. I, but again, like, my why was I have to learn these skills so I don't die at work. And that was always my why. And so I didn't care about cloth and people were getting, sometimes people would get like, I would miss promotion. Sometimes we did like a, like a promotion ceremony. Yeah, I would yep. miss and guys who started after me would get promoted and I still wasn't promoted yet. And I was just like, I don't really care. Cause like that's if the, we the roll, Brazilian tax. that's when you'll know, you know what I mean? Like now they're the ones that have to prove something. I'm not the one, you know, yep. as it pertains to the belt stuff. So guys you know, I just like to train to competency. I like to train like the skill, just like, you know, uh, John Danaher and Lex Friedman. I'm, I'm a huge fan of both. They did the podcast. Oh, I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah. So there's one that's just out and they break down like all of Gordon's matches. It's like four yeah. and a half hours long, but Jeez. they did one prior to that. He, you know, talks about what does it take to be a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt? And John literally just goes something along the lines of, uh, not much, just show up, pay your membership. Yep. He's, he's not wrong. You know, yeah. but he was like, you should train for skill and competency. He's like, that's, that's what's important. And I think too, from the business aspect, it, it is very important. Cause I know guys that had, that were in your situation that were like, my goal is to get my black belt. So they just would show up to class. They're great, you know, great practitioners, nothing against them. But from a business perspective, it is a good thing. Like, you know, for me working with Jay, you know, obviously we have a cadre of instructors where the majority are black belts with multiple, I think, you know, Jay's a secondary black belt. Robert Hugis is a fifth degree black belt we have very legitimate guys on the team and we even have some purple belts that are instructors, um, you know, and, and they're very competent. Sometimes oh, yeah. they're actually better at explaining, you know, certain techniques than those guys with multiple pieces of tape on their black belt. Yeah. You know? Cause they're closer and, to that sensation. They're closer to white belt. They remember it right. better. And this thing is like, they may see, uh, they may see some that they don't. And like the beauty of it is that like guys that don't have that belt ego, um, are super open. And that's why, yeah. cause again, like what's the main goal here? Okay. It's to make competent people capable of defending themselves and possessing skills that could, um, you know, save their life or the life of somebody else. That's the fucking end goal. Mm -hmm. So if you have capable individuals, you know, no matter what the instructors are, no matter what belt level they are, I will say that, you know, purple or above, I would say is probably more recommended for teaching just cause, uh, let's be honest, blue belts, you don't know fucking shit. Like, <laughs> Like, let's just, let's just be honest. You may be good. You may, you may catch an upper belt and some fucking straight ankle lock bullshit one time because you just threw your legs over and bridged in real hard. Let's be honest here. Um, you know exactly what I'm talking about, Aaron. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, I, I tapped him out. Let me, let me guess. Straight ankle lock? Okay. Or, or an illegal heel hook and a gi. Yeah. Hey, dude, I'm all about that street life, bro. I'll heel hook you anything. Damn straight. Um, man, it's, it's the thing though is, is, is guys, there's so much instruction out there. Aaron is somebody who I've been following for a very long time. Very honored to have him on the podcast. Guys that train, my advice is guys train, 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 train. and just 
stay consistent. Aaron, what is one piece of advice you want to leave for the listeners? Uh, everything that is good or bad going on with you right now that you want to change or enjoy is up to you. Right. So take accountability, take responsibility for whatever that is. Um, you know, you want to be a better father, buy some books, go train, lose some weight, whatever the hell that is. You want to be a better cop, train your ass off, get to know the people you're working with, you know, fix, find out what the biggest problems are and whatever it is you're trying to get done and then be the front end of whatever those things are, man. But it starts with personal accountability and, uh, yeah, you got to do it yourself. Beautiful. So Aaron, where can people find you? Totally. Uh, primarily I float mostly on Instagrams. Uh, so Janetti Aaron. So like my name backwards, J A N N E T T I A A R O N. And then you also find specifically the KCC stuff, uh, at, at knife control concepts. And then if you're ever in Columbus, Ohio, and you'd like to come hang out at Endeavor Defensive Fitness, stop by, uh, just let us know that you heard us on the podcast and you can come train for free. We got jujitsu, we got Krav Maga-ish stuff, uh, kickboxing, CrossFit, the whole nine, man. So we love training, getting to know new people and going from there. And I will put the links uh, to both of those in the show notes below. So if you guys are interested in following Aaron, Aaron's pages and his company and go train in Columbus. If you're in Columbus, Ohio, and you're a cop, you need to go train with Aaron. That's just, Please. Uh, yeah, we'd love to have you out. So um, teach you guys how to bye, guys. You know, share some stuff awesome. there. And then we travel around the country. So we've got, uh, like, I don't know when this episode is going to air, but I mean, like, we're, we've got things in Connecticut, Oregon, Maryland. So the KCC is on the road. Check the Instagram page for like updated listings, but uh we've been pretty much doing 1 to 2 every single month for the last I don't know 14 months, so. That's great. Yeah, guys, please check it out. Again, I'll link the I'll link his website and the Instagram pages in the show notes below. Check him out, give Aaron a follow. Aaron, thank you for coming on, my dude. I appreciate it. Thanks, you. brother. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to follow Aaron or would like to train with him, his links are in the show notes below. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. New episodes launch on Monday every other week.